Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. The premium kit for dry eye treatment. The premium choice for your patients. Introducing the Eye Doctor Plus, the hot and cold eye compress treatment kit with antibacterial shield, washable cover and eyelid wipes. Visit 1-800-OPTI-SOURCE and type code open your eyes for a special promo. Welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gell, the host of the documentary Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country, sharing information on eye care and eye disease. In a survey conducted at Johns Hopkins, 47% of Americans said loss of sight was the worst possible health problem someone could go through. Did you know people can decrease their risk of blinding eye disease and even improve eyesight with certain foods? Today's guest, ophthalmologist, eye surgeon, Dr. Robert Abel, Jr., MD, has studied this topic extensively. Dr. Abel integrates modern and natural medicine. He connects the dots between eye care and general health. He is also an expert in color vision and optical illusion. He has written over 250 scientific articles and 20 chapters in medical books. He has also authored numerous books, including The Eye Care Revolution, The DHA Story, The Best Supplements for Your Health. He practices ophthalmology in Delaware. His website is called Eye Advisory. Welcome, Dr. Abel. Thank you, Kerry. It's a pleasure to be with you and share with your very interested listeners. I really appreciate it. Let's get it right into it. How can we use the eye as a biomarker for systemic disease? Well, the interesting thing is, even though it's this little tiny orb sitting in the top of the head, it provides 80% of your sensory connection to the world and 90% of your memories are visual. 40 to 50% of your brain utilizes what comes through the pupil. So this little orb needs blood, it needs oxygen, et cetera. And it's actually a bag of water with two lenses, a cornea and the crystalline lens, which can become a cataract. And it's fluid filled and light goes through these two lenses and focuses on the retina. And that's how you start stimulating the sight channels. The problem is there's very little nutrition in the eye. And that's why it's a biochemical workshop. All of your nutrition for your eye is in your liver. So it is intimately connected, the eye that is, to the rest of your body and to every other organ system. And yet it's overlooked and people just evaluate it by whether their glasses are working or not. Now with new technology, we could look into the eye at about 10 to 15 microns. Soon we're gonna be able to look in the eye at one micron. How does that help us diagnose disease so early, like diseases like diabetes and hypertension? You know, what's interesting is we sort of know which diseases to look for and what systemic signs are already present. So for instance, very few diabetics are in trouble um, with their eyes if they do not have a systemic problem or haven't been previously diagnosed. Same with high blood pressure. 
But looking in the eye, we have a clear view in and can evaluate the retina and, and the blood vessels. And agreed, the finer we can see detail, the finer we can pick up early disease. For instance, the next level of Heidelberg OCT, which is an amplified laser tomogram, will be able to pick up early Alzheimer's in the retina before you pick it up in the brain. Plus, it'll take two minutes to do the exam, which is not an intervention, and not require brain imaging, et cetera. People will say, well, I really don't want to know. On the other hand, if you do know and you have it as a biomarker, as you said, Curry, then we can test vitamins and medications to see, can we stop it? And we can look at it and view it real time. I remember 10 years ago that one-fourth of all genetic diseases were diagnosed and managed through the eye. So there's no question because it's the only visible area you can look without a scope and it's accessible to all of us. And you and I are so fortunate because we look at a grape through magnification so it looks like a watermelon. And if you get it to be one micron, you can probably start seeing more than you can ever expect. So when we use the OCT to help us diagnose Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's, what is the OCT going to be able to show us? It's going to show us either a picture of the center of the retina called the macula. The latest level can look at the different levels below the macula, the choroidal circulation and what's the supporting features. The other main OCT is of the optic nerve. And you see the nerve fibers as they duck into the optic nerve and exit into the brain. And that's how the visual image coming from the retina through the nerves into the optic nerve and ramifying the different places in the brain. So the OCT will give us a hint of the nerve fibers. And as you rec recognize that there's a study that shows that as you get progressive Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, you get progressive diminishing diminution of those nerve fibers. But even more important than that is all of these neurodegenerative diseases have an accompanying low vitamin D level. People with low D3 are susceptible to different stuff. I know I'm jumping ahead of the game here, but four studies have come out in the past two months stating that if you have a normal D3 blood level, that's the main vitamin D, you will survive COVID. If you have a deficiency, you will die. That is pretty profound on how one vitamin is so important to so many things. What is the optimal vitamin D level? Is it best to get it from the sun? Can you take it from pills? Do you need to take it with vitamin K2? Well, it's an angel and a devil. The angel is you need it and uh, you look good with it. Um, you're, the devil is you can get too much of it. Um, but usually very few people get enough. We need D. D is actually radiated cholesterol in your skin. And it's quite possible if you have enough D level, probably taking it by supplements, you may lower your own cholesterol, which is the precursor to making D. So D is necessary. And what's happened is people in different countries, Asia and Africa, have developed thicker skin so that they don't absorb too much D and don't get toxic. Whereas people in temperate climates and paler skin are more susceptible. At one point in the 70s, 
about 77% of people in Tucson were D deficient because they use sunblock. So it's a, a very changeable level here. And that's why the best option is to supplement. Now, if you go and have labs, is there a specific number that you want to shoot for? Not above a certain amount, but in between. You know, typically we have 50 to 80 nanograms per ml uh, is the optimal. Uh, is that something you agree with or a little lower okay? I would agree with it, but lower is going to be okay as you try to build up. I was fortunate to be on an advisory board with guys like uh, the gentleman at Tufts who regulates and creates the standard daily dosages, recommended dosages. Walter Willett was head of um, public health and nutrition at Harvard, and a couple other folks of that ilk. So it brought me up to the level about some of these vitamins. And this was like 15 years ago, they said the world is D deficient. I mean, for instance, MS is a vitamin D deficiency disease. You take it and you may very well stop remissions. And what eye diseases like macular degeneration, if you have low vitamin D, you'll have an increased risk of that disease. Well, in researching my book, The Eye Care Revolution, I found five articles on vitamin D in the macula. One was nonspecific, but the other four, for no known reason, said that a normal D level reduces your risk of macular degeneration. So maybe it's kind of like the thyroid hormone that every cell needs this energy, the thyroid energy. Well, maybe every cell needs D for a number of things, one of which is immune competence. Now, the dermatologists tell us to stay out of the sun, but we need vitamin D. How do we, we kind of make that right in, in, our, in our own heads? Well, the dermatologists tell you to stay out of the sun because of the toxic effects on the skin. Well, the toxic effects of D in the eye are um, deficiencies, but toxic UV is more of an issue in terms of the sun. But D is obviously an issue. It may cause um, the sunlight, which is associated with causing the D, is associated with creating yellowing spots on the white of the eye, cataracts, macular changes, and even vitreous floaters. So the sunlight, which brings you the D, uh, is not your best friend, especially with the ozone layer diminishing. So you brought up vitreous floaters. Obviously, if someone has a vitreous attachment, a new floater, they have to get their eyes examined and they have to, have a, they have to get their eyes dilated and have a peripheral retinal exam. But say they're normal floaters and they've been checked out by the doctor. Is there anything that we could recommend uh, to patients to help get rid of those floaters or really there's nothing we could do? In 1972, I read the Indian Journal of Ophthalmology, an article that said 2000 milligrams of vitamin C may get rid of your floaters. And I thought that was a bunch of bull. But having a floater myself and having done that and then not seeing the floater when I look in someone else's eye, I said, this is pretty interesting because C, ascorbic acid, makes collagen. And if you make collagen for that fluid-filled vitreous, it may not move. And if something doesn't move, whether it's in your eye or out on the street, you may not see it. That's why things in plain sight 
you don't see because they don't move. You know, 10 years ago, we were very worried as optometrists, ophthalmologists about ultraviolet light. And now the new buzzword is blue light. Can you explain the difference and the different dangers to the eye and how we should protect ourselves or if we should against the blue light? This is all called the electromagnetic spectrum. The shortest waves have the most toxicity. They're cosmic rays, then you get to x-rays, then you get to UV. Above UV is when the visual spectrum goes from 400 to 700 nanometers or angstroms. Above that is infrared, microwave, radio wave, TV, etc. The longer the wavelength, the less toxic. So we were very simplistic as we often are in history and said, oh, once you get to 400 level, you're safe. But it turns out that 400 to 415, the low blue, the purple blue, is still toxic. And it emanates freely from your high def TV, your computer, your cell phone, et cetera. And as you well know and have taught that radiation is cumulative. Even your dental x-rays, your CAT scans, all of these things accumulate. So for instance, mountain climbers, mountain climbing guides, pilots, astronauts, people live in high environments who get more UV have a higher incidence of cataracts. So there's no question radiation is cumulative uh, in our bodies. So it's an issue. And how about blue light? So blue light, agree. Blue light is something we can commandeer. We can get a blue light filter on a, in our glasses now. The astronauts knew this about 18 years ago and started making glasses called silhouettes, which had it built in. Well now, last three or four years, it's commercially available. You can also get a $20 pair with no prescription from Amazon and uh, protect you from watching TV at night, computer and phone at night. Because if you don't block the UV, I'm sorry, the, the B light waves, you will lose your melatonin and therefore you'll fall asleep because you're tired, but you'll keep waking up and not get a night's sleep. Insomnia, it seems to be endemic in this country. And part of it is our visual things we do at night because we're such visual animals. You so I believe and recommend strongly your blue blocking lenses. Do you think there's, there's some research to show there is some toxicity to the cells in the macula from the blue light, blue light even coming off the computers or digital devices. How do you feel about those studies and are we there yet? With that, we could actually say to patients and people, you need to wear blue filtering lenses to help protect your macula. Well, you know, it's interesting in science. The paradigm is so stiff that people don't see the outside of it until all of a sudden everyone knows it. And then doctors, physicians, surgeons, scientists all say, oh, we knew that. Well, I think we're learning that the mouse studies from 2008 by Dylan showed that one minute of 400 nanometers on the mouse retina will cause macular degeneration. And as you back up to higher levels, it took longer and longer time. So there's no question it's cumulative. And fortunately, the lens of our eye, which becomes a cataract, is like your left guard in football. It's blocking for the quarterback, your macula. 
So a lot of this is stopped by the lens, but the lens pays the price of becoming a cataract. So yes, I believe it's cumulative. I believe it could be macular toxic. And I think of a six-year-old kid spending his entire life on an iPhone and on a computer or a laptop and uh, going to be exposed to this. If there's a midbrain injury, uh, eye exercises could actually help that. Could you go into that and explain that a little bit? Well, it's very interesting about that. It's a, again, a double-edged sword. They did a study at RPI, a Division III college. They had 38 football players, and they played eight games. Two of them got concussions. So they had 36 people, and they put a sensor in the helmet. And over the eight games, the 36 people got 9,900 head hits. Wow. None of them registered a concussion. But they did midbrain MRI imaging. And all of them had some change and loss in the white matter. So there's no question the concussions are related to even minimal trauma. Answering your question in reverse, the way to treat a concussion is to shut down the eyes. The brain is 40 to 50% committed to what comes through the pupil and a lot of complicated different pathways between amygdala and emotion, autonomic, um, balance, um, and cogitation and recognition in the prefrontal cortex. And what happens is if you don't shut them down, they don't get better from a concussion. And so vision is so important into so many of these items. Now, using that as an idea, the Army, Dharma, uses nystagmus measurements to determine where the injury is in the brain. So you can use the eye, as you said, as a metric to help find out where the injury is. But nonetheless, you do have to get sleep. You may need to be on gabapentin and you have to cut down vision, binocular vision work. So when you say cut down vision, does that mean just staying in bed and resting? What does that actually mean uh, to a patient? It means that exactly what you're saying. Audio books, read the paper, may even just use one eye to make it less complicated. Do daily work, have social events, but looking at the computer and all of these subtle things stimulate parts of the brain and sort of delay recovery. And what kind of symptoms would, might we get from midbrain injuries? You, first of all, you get nystagmus. Second of all, you get headache. One of the key things is looking at the nystagmus when the player comes off the field. You look at the pupils and you actually look at the movement of the eyes under direction um, because of its vestibular connections, which run from the back of the brain towards the eyes. You're also going to have potentially nausea or unconsciousness initially, but that may or may not be the case. So you use the fact is what their stamina is going to be like, what their eyes look like, and do they have any headache? Explain what nystagmus is. Nystagmus is a beating of the eyes. First of all, backing up, vision is an illusion. We only see two dimensions and not three. 
we have two brains, a conscious and unconscious, and we have two eyes, a macular or central vision with detail and a peripheral. So you have them operating all the time. You have something called saccades. Saccades are little micro movements of the eye that are about five a second. So basically the eye is a scanner. And if it doesn't scan, it doesn't see. You also have torsions of the eye because you talked about relating to the rest of the body. The fascia or fibers that go from your feet through your brain to your eyes tort the eye maybe six times a minute. And you blink. So you have all this going on, plus you're always prejudiced about what you think you're going to see. So you go into a party with a couple friends and each of you see something different because there's so many things going on that really disrupt your vision. And some of these things can be measured for people with concussions and midbrain injuries. As we're talking about the brain, many people who get migraines have a visual migraine and they come in to us, and, but they don't get the headache, especially as they get older, over, I think, 55 or so, they don't, get the, they don't get the headache part. Explain migraines and how it affects vision and the symptoms. Well, many people use a migraine as a severe headache, but as you know, it's basically something with a visual aura that may be subtle in the beginning and build and then disappear. The older you get, the less the headache. I usually use 55, as you do, as a cutoff time. What happens is often it is light coming in from the side, but it can be your computer, it can be your phone, you can be tired, whatever. But light usually stimulates it. And you get a vasospasm in the brain. And that's why you see the scintillating lights. And then it relaxes. And in young people, it causes such a headache when it relaxes that they get the nausea and the headache. Older people, they don't dilate their vessels as well, so they don't get that kind of um, severity, nor do they have that time frame. Giving people 500 milligrams of magnesium a day will help them block the migraine. Ask these folks, do you get cramps in your legs at night? Invariably you get yes, or twitches of their lids. These are magnesium deficiencies, the number two deficiency of senior. So that is one way to deal with it. Another way to get migraines is the knot in the back of the neck under that little bump, under that nuchal ridge. If that is very tight from a tension headache, you will get headaches in the eye and have a higher incidence of those kind of visual migraines in adulthood. You mentioned magnesium. There's many different forms of magnesium. I typically tell patients to avoid oxide because it's not absorbed very well, citrate because it may bother the belly. What form of magnesium do you typically recommend? I think any of the other ones you can get. Um, so, and you, you know, you're your own lab rat. You try it, if it doesn't work, you know. But some of these things work almost very simply. Um, obviously the simplest solution is always the best. How about CoQ10 for migraines? Interesting. CoQ10 is lost when taking the statin drugs. It's manufactured in the liver. That and ATP are the two energy forms produced in the body. And taking a statin drug that knocks out what's called the selenoenzymes, it knocks out CoQ10, you get decreased heart function, 
you can get cramps in your muscles, and you don't make glutathione. That's a complicated thing, but it's one of the major antioxidants in the lens of the eye. And it's the only way to get rid of Tylenol from the body. So CoQ10 is useful, and I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't help in such remote areas like vasospasm. I want to talk about foods that are really good for the eye. But before we do that, if somebody's on a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor, or on antacids, how does that work against us? A couple reasons. The first is it knocks out your B12 absorption. B12, unlike the other B vitamins, has a specific receptor in the stomach. And if you don't have it there, you don't get B12. I alluded to magnesium as the number two deficiency. B12 is the number one. And that's why people shuffle along. And B12 is also knocked out by your um, artificial sweeteners. But the stomach acid inhibitors ruin the B12 absorption. And the ways you see it are going to be first in neuropathy in the feet and the gait. You may have an anemia and you may have some memory loss. They did a study many years ago between the nuns and the abbots in southern France. And the only thing different was the nuns took B12 under their tongue and the B vitamins, nothing else. They were served the same food. The men died seven years earlier than the women. And when they looked at the brains of the women, there was no dementia. So there's no question that these B vitamins are coenzymes for nerve functions. And B12 is a major one. Well, we have a patient that's starting to get macular degeneration and they're on an antacid or a proton pump inhibitor. How do we reconcile that with their primary care doctor who's prescribing that for them? When you typically PPIs were supposed to only be maybe eight weeks or four weeks prescribed if you look at the packets insert, but we, we see people that are on it for years and, and we know that they're not going to absorb the nutrients that we want them to absorb and that their macular degeneration probably could get worse because of that. How do we deal with that? Well, the macular degeneration is due to the not absorbing the nutrients. It's not in the liver. It doesn't get sent upstairs. The problem is like the uh, medical merry-go-round. You go to a doctor, you get a drug. You go to another doctor, you may get a drug for the side effect of the first drug. So you need to be your own medical detective as the patient. And yet we come along as the eye doctor and we recognize some of these things and have a little difficulty on how to share that. Um, but by writing a letter and doing it and dictating it in front of the patient, the patient hears the story. Also, if you need as something for an acid inhibitor, why don't you check and make sure that there's uh, hyperacidosis, hyperchloremia in the gut. Maybe they have a deficiency and betaine may do the job. Certain foods may do the job for digestion without an outside drug that needs to be metabolized and excreted. So talk about the, you write extensively about the best foods for the eye. If you, could talk, if you could talk about those foods, if you can. Sure. Um, obviously, the omega-3s are critical, so you get them in the cold water fatty fish. Um, not all fish are 
carry omega-3 DHA. Some of them carry EPA. Some of them don't. Farm-raised ones don't have a lot of the omega-3 at all. So organic salmon, um, herring, sardines are very helpful. Some of the nuts are useful, etc. So that should be sprinkled in your diet. Um, you should look at the meats you eat and see whether they're organic and naturally fed or not, and balance it out with the fruits and vegetables. The things that are berries and fruits and seeds are actually nature's way of helping the next generation of those different plants. And so they are definitely the healthiest. The onion garlic family are very helpful, etc. The green leafy vegetables. We know that spinach, collard greens, and um, a couple others are high in the xanthines. And the xanthines are good for inhibiting macular degeneration. So the moral of the story is that eating that kind of Mediterranean diet, balancing things out. And at the bottom of that pyramid, the most thing is water. And to make sure you have filtered water, even if it's a Brita filter on your own machine, because the chlorine in the water is toxic. And the chlorine will knock the iodine off your thyroid hormone. And that's why so many people get hypothyroidism. So putting a chlorine filter on your, either on your whole house or on your sink filter, your water drinking filter, is very important. And how about reverse osmosis uh, filters and structuring the water? Correct. That, that's a little more expensive. But again, that is that extends the protection because you're in the shower, you're still getting the chlorine. And uh, when people end up having cancer, etc., you want to do everything possible to avoid recurrences. And you put on the reverse osmosis filter for your entire house. Doesn't have to be outside for the lawn. Do you have a feeling about wine? Uh, good, bad, indifferent? Do you have a feeling about wine? Why? Wine. 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 I, yeah. I mean, first of all, red wine has the skin left in for a few weeks. So you get resveratrol. And resveratrol is very good because it helps extend your chromosomes called the telomeres. And lengthening the telomeres with resveratrol, exercise, and diet will keep you healthier and give you a longer life. We won't go into what happens when the telomeres start shriveling, but you're correct that red wine, certainly of all the alcoholic and spirits, um, is the healthiest, obviously in moderation. Let's, you talk a lot about the liver. You know, you're one of the few doctors, eye doctors, that actually talk about the importance of the liver. Explain how the liver is important and about a fatty liver, how does that how does that negatively affect somebody from a from absorption or releasing of vitamins? What happens is your stomach and your bowels absorb your food, and it goes through all of the vessels into your liver as the first relay station. From there, it's either metabolized, stored, excreted 
or sent on to other places, depending on what molecules and foods it is. So it stores a lot of food. If you have a fatty diet, it stores the fat. Storing the fat, it puts some of the fat into your gallbladder and gives the gallbladder stones. If you have a lot of fat in the liver, you've replaced some of the functioning cells that work to metabolize and help your body heal. A guy named Gerson, I'm sure you know, Curry, um, wrote a book on 50, not cures, but remissions of stage four cancers. And he had done research and found that if he put mustard toxin on the ear of a rabbit, and as soon as that became cancerous, he was doing monthly biopsies on the liver, he found the liver had deteriorated. So your liver is your sentinel organ in your whole body. And there's a paper that came out in 2010 that presumed that Alzheimer's began in the liver. And it's not that far away from reality when you realize the liver controls everything like the puppeteer. So the liver is critical. What can we do to protect the liver? One is you can get an MRI of the thoracic area and the abdomen every few years. You will have a perfect scan of your body to know what's going on, etc. But other than that is you can even measure your own liver because a fatty liver will be big. For instance, you can take your hand and put it over your last rib and tap. And if it's not solid, like here, you know your liver has not descended. These are little things you can do at home that can give you a clue. That's how you know your liver is reasonably good. You also use your bowel movements as another metric of health, um, the various qualities of it, the regularity, etc. Because so many people internalize their grief and stress. And we're finding out that your microbiome is so important and that 80% of your serotonin's in your gut. So much of your mood may even start in the gut. We're gonna get into at the end, uh, different vitamins for the eye uh, that you've developed. But for, but for now, is there any supplements for the liver or foods specific for the liver that you recommend? Well, obviously a touch of alcohol is great for the liver. I remember mythology. When you had a slice of liver and put it in alcohol, all the fat disappeared. So the concept is alcohol may just get rid of cholesterol and vessels, et cetera, but it's like a touch because otherwise the liver microsomes that do the work get overwhelmed by the alcohol. Um, Silymarin or milk thistle is very helpful for liver function. It is the only thing to make alcoholic cirrhosis or even fatty liver improve a little bit. So there's no question that it's a great stimulus to the liver. But all of the things that are good for the rest of your body, the A, D, E, some C. C is your migratory vitamin that provides uh, electrons to the stationary enzymes that are important. Um, coffee is good for the liver. Coffee makes your liver excrete, excretes into the gallbladder. So the cup of coffee a day or two 
is actually therapeutic. Um, and you, you wouldn't know that unless you read all these little articles that come out. But you also know your own self. You know what your body feels like. You know when it's not good. And it's part of leading, leading a measured life. And that's not for living forever, but it's living for quality. And so you use what you feel. And you have to even use it determining on how you relate to your doctors. You have this acronym that you develop, new bars for a healthy lifestyle. Can yes. you explain that? Well, I thought of the key items were nutrition, E, and exercise and stretching. You've got to balance the yin and yang. Water, basically that's what your body's made out of. B for breathing, because you do it, but regular breathing improves the energy. It moves your lymphatics, in case you want to discuss that. And alternative options, whether they're other medical systems, whether they're vitamins, whether they're alternative body work, all of these things may contribute to your health and you just use your well-being as a criteria. And R is relaxation and S can be stress reduction, socialization or spirituality. Giving to others ultimately gives back to you. So being with other people and giving and sharing makes you feel better. And uh, I have some friends who believe strongly in the use of prayer in helping people, um, though it's very hard for many of us to see that. Um, but you have to be able to think of those things in terms of helping other people. The premium kit for dry eye treatment, the premium choice for your patients. Introducing the Eye Doctor Plus, the hot and cold eye compress treatment kit with antibacterial shield, washable cover and eyelid wipes. Visit 1-800-OPTI-SOURCE and type code open your eyes for a special promo. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. You talked about uh, meditation, and there's been some studies on glaucoma that meditation actually helps glaucoma. How do, you, how do you recommend to meditate or breathe? What are the techniques that you would, how you do it? One of the things is to be in a relaxed position. Perhaps sitting up with maybe legs crossed or open, arms out, or lying down. And breathe as slow as you can. First, try to breathe four in and out a minute. So that's 15 seconds, or half of which for inhaling and half of which for exhaling. And as you get slower and slower, you get more relaxed and you start forgetting your mind and your body. That's how you know that you are meditating and sort of relieving a lot of the stress of both your body and your mind. And then you try to breathe three times a minute and start enjoying it and start putting the routine of the day out of the way. If you can do it for 10 minutes and get something out of it, great. Some people do it an hour, um, that's difficult. But when people have that runner's high or the aerobic high, or even walking on a treadmill, in a sense, they're beginning that because breathing is the key to quieting the mind. Breathing is the key to 
moving things because you do it on an exhale. So it's used for martial arts. But meditation is a good example for people just sit in the corner and do it themselves and think about something instead of reacting. So let's turn our attention to color vision. People are very curious about what it is to be colorblind. Is somebody really colorblind or is it really color deficient? And why do they select men who are color deficient to review satellite images? First of all, there are supposedly three major pigments, but there are probably a little more because we know a number of the blues do different things, one of which is part of the sleep hormone, melatonin. We knew that the old world monkeys, male and female, had three major colors. They were normal color and they would hunt together. But when they came across the Bering Straits, the New World monkeys in Central and South America, the males have only two colors. They are color deficient or color blind, but the females have three colors. And they realize that the females can detect changes in the green so they know when the fruit ripen. And the males can see contour better and see the bugs underneath the leaves. So they get a balanced diet by hunting together. And then it just turns out that our trackers who view our satellite images are colorblind, usually men, and they are able to see detail and prominence and perhaps three dimensions better than people with normal color. I mean, it's really interesting that there are people who are amblyopic who get better by training. And once they get better by training and have bilateral vision, their depth perception in certain ways and looking at the depth and configuration of objects is a little bit off. So the eye is so complicated in its mechanisms and so much brain is devoted to it that there's so many different issues. Interestingly, a colorblind person wouldn't know it unless they were next to someone who was not colorblind because they can still see the different you in a traffic light, even if they can't see the red and green as perfectly. Talk about the different types of color deficiency or color blindness. There's red, green, and there's blue, yellow. And then there's obviously black and white. Um, if you didn't have an eye, you could still see black and white. Were you aware of that? On the tongue. On the tongue. Right. That is possible. Talk about that. It's possible to wear glasses with a little lens, a Google camera, where you knew where you were to be oriented, connects to a little computer on your belt, and then connects with a fiber optic cable to your tongue. And after two weeks, you start seeing black, white, and gray. And uh, I was on a show with Dr. Oz, and we had the first guy who received this, an Iraq veteran who lost both eyes from an IED. He said he cannot believe how he got out of his depression to be able to cross the street by himself. And there's pictures of mountain climbers at 12,000 feet and you see their hands because of the split image of the camera. And obviously you can go around the eyes because lizards and snakes and all kinds of lower order animals have been able to do things. Why is color deficiency more common in men? because it's on the Y-X chromosome. 
because women have two X's, so they have a chance of not being totally disabled. Men only have one X, the one they get from their mother. So if that's deficient, that's an issue. Often they have baldness associated with that. I won't ask any personal questions. <laughs> no, I'm not color deficient. Uh, you talk about optical illusions and you write mystery books. And I'm sure you, you use optical illusions in some of your mystery books. Uh, no, first, what's the name of your mystery books? And two, explain how the eye and the brain work together to be fooled by optical illusion. The books are called Lethal Hindsight and Last Sighting. And they have my name, Robert Abel Jr. But I've lectured the psychiatrist about this, Curry, twice. One is fool the eye, fool the mind. And it's very easy to fool the eye. I mean, as simple as walking down a dark street and you're nervous, a lamppost looks like a lurking figure. So I mean, it's something very simple like that. And illusions are based on the fact that we only see two dimensions. And things are created in such a way as to give a back and forth type of image that you can't multitask with your eyes. If you play Sudoku, you realize you cannot multitask. You're going from one to the other. And that's how the illusion of the vase versus the rabbit or the perspective of lines or the table, which way is the cube, three dimensions. So the moral of the story is illusions are easy. Delusions are when they're psychotic or abnormal. Hallucinations are when they're free floating and there's no basis for that to even have occurred. Um, and uh, that's all part of these dream states and illusions that come out of the brain because we are so highly visual and how we want to rapidly manipulate an image and how we're so prejudicial to what we see, we may not even see the second option in the same picture. How do magicians use the concept of optical illusions to fool people? Well, that is very tough. There's a guy named um, Brown, who's a London magician, who does a variety of things and puts things in people's minds in the audience subtly before calling them up and having them give the correct answer, which he has in the envelope. So I'm sure they have different ways because they lead you into believing what you think you're going to see instead of what actually is seen. So it's the old sleight of hands that you don't see. But not being a magician, except maybe once in a while I get someone better, um, I can't give a good answer. So how about visual hallucinations? Uh, people that have hallucinations or out-of-body experience, how is the eye and the brain involved in that? Well, hallucinations can come from liver disease, dehydration, paranoid fixation, etc. Um, it can come from Alzheimer's disease. In fact, the Charles Bonnet syndrome of macular degeneration, 20% of people will have hallucinations.
because they want to see and somehow something comes out of their memory center that is not justified by what they're looking at. So hallucinations are one thing, but out of body is a very different thing. My 10th book is basically Death is Highly Overrated. It's called The Missing Links. And I've taken 900 patients and picked the best 140 stories from what people see in dreams, what they see and hear in dreams, what they see of their deceased loved one awake, arousing from coma, levitating themselves, and then dying and coming back and telling me the story. The things you realize from this is that consciousness and sight extends beyond the brain. How could somebody go and come back, tell you a story that may have happened four generations, four decades ago, and still remember it to a T? So the vision is so primordial, and the out-of-body business is something that's only now being investigated by the National Institute of Health Neurology Division. How are real dreams and daydreams different? A daydream comes while you're awake. That simple. Um, now there's hypnagogic and hypnosomnic parts of your sleep when you're falling asleep versus really being asleep and REM sleep. So, but a daydream is while you are awake, you're sitting in class waiting for the clock to move and you just start picturing something. Again, the templates in your midbrain are so highly visual. When you think of people, you think of scenes, it is visual for the most part. And it, this releases on its own, especially in macular degeneration when there's no inlet, uh, they use what's inside the brain. And by the way, you can get dementia from either Alzheimer's disease or cataracts. So people who are, um, sensorily deprived, probably hearing deprived as well, can shut down inside their brain. There's been some reports that there are certain type of cataracts that have amyloid that could be a precursor to Alzheimer's. Have you read anything about that? And uh, uh, do you agree with that? Um, I think that that is the case. It's been known for a long time, but it's never been associated. But obviously, amyloid is an abnormal protein. You know, it's a breakdown of normal proteins. The lens is very mysterious because it has no blood supply and nerves. That's why a cataract sort of doesn't really heal. You can try with carnosine, um, topical carnosine, et cetera, and vitamins. Um, but it'd be hard for the amyloid to get there. But I would think that if it is really amyloid, because we don't look at the lens anymore. We just chew it up, emulsify it, and don't have any record. But uh, again, that's a good thought, and you keep bringing them up. You talked before about psychiatrists and depression. How could the optometrist or the ophthalmologist diagnose or help the psychiatrist with an ERG? Well, an ERG will tell you whether the retina functions. And if someone has media opacities, you can't see through the cornea or the lens, you'll know if the retina stimulates something that will register in the back of the brain. 
But how can the optometrist and the ophthalmologist make diagnoses the psychiatrist can't? The answer is looking at the eyes. We're the only animal you see the white of the eye. So we can see the eyes move. We can see the blink. We can see the fissure size. We can see the pupil. And when I lecture them, I tell them you can make 10 psychiatric diagnoses by looking at people and sort of feeding them a question or two and then watching the response. First thing you look at when you meet people is their eyes. You wear a mask and you meet someone on the street and you know who it is, even though you haven't seen them as a patient in two years, by looking at their eyes. That's how profound that is. The two guys who were working on facial recognition um, finally, after seven years, realized it's in the eyes. So they took their Stanford students, gave them six different emotions to match with eye findings, 89% correlation. It was so profound that they then gave them pictures of a face with uncomplimentary eye signs, eye images with the snarl on the face. And 69% of the time, they got it right. Looking at the eyes can tell you a bundle. So the eye is, is more accurate than facial recognition, yes. iris recognition or retinal recognition, which you feel is better or are they equal? Because I, from, what I, from what I understand, the, the eye recognition is 10 times more accurate than facial recognition. Retinal, retinal recognition takes a camera and special equipment. Looking at someone doesn't. And so, I mean, that's what helps you in terms of that, just uh, like you were talking about nystagmus and the color of the eye and things on the outside of the eye tell you about the inside of the eye, but that you can't hide your unconsciousness. You can't hide your mood very easily, though people try. So if you go back to what you were talking about with the, the psychiatrist, psychiatric diagnosis by looking at the eye, there's 10 different diagnoses. Give us a couple of examples. That's really interesting. Well. Anger is going to give you a small pupil. Awe is going to give you a large pupil, as will love, as will holding a baby. Jerky movements of the eyes are going to show schizophrenia. Bipolar can be either way. You look at the width of the fissure. And also, I mean, you're, of course, looking at how they walked in the room. You look at how they hold themselves. So these are ancillary clues. Um, the whole Rorschach idea was the way to tell these things, but it was very crude. But augmented reality and using an iPad with multiple images and seeing what people select is going to be very key to helping know what's going on in their mind and can be used as a metric for ongoing therapy to see are they getting better or not. That brings us to the to DHA, omega-3s. How can that help our eyes, help our brain, help us with depression? First of all, DHA is the top of the line omega-3. Algae made DHA, they still do. And that was the first way life forms, forming cell membranes to keep the goodies in and the baddies out. DHA is 50% of your retina. Nerve fibers in your body are 50% DHA, 50% omega-6. But in the eye and brain, it is heavy DHA. Your brain is 60% fat, half of which DHA, half of which omega-6, 40% everything else. So you can see DHA 
which covers and layers your nerve fibers going from your eye and your ear to the brain is very critical. So it's critical of all membranes. And when it breaks down, it becomes fish oil. Fish oil gives you thinner blood and is an anti-inflammatory. So that's why eating the fish gives you both the structural DHA and the serologic anti-inflammatory fluid EPA. That's why it's so important. How about a blood spot, a, a blood spot test to see your ratios of uh, DHA and omega-6, omega-3s? How about your earwax? Tell me about that. You got earwax, your six overwhelms your omega-3. If you have dandruff, you have more six than omega-3. If you have a higher omega-3 level, you'll have less debris, less blepharitis, less dry eyes, less wax, etc. And But in terms of blood, a lot of people are on these blood thinners because of heart disease and risk of stroke. And if they're taking the DHA, they bruise very easily. You would think that the medical doctors would taper down the pharmaceutical preparation and keep the nutritional one, which would be the way to operate. How about pregnant women giving them DHA? Has affect IQ brain size? You said it. You know, I lectured them in 2007 for the first company to come in in the prenatal vitamin because it builds a bigger brain, better IQ, better vision at age four because it feeds the brain. And obviously, it doesn't detract from the mother's DHA to make their brain. I say to women, who made your children's brain? And they're generous to say my husband and I. And I said, no, no, no. Your husband helped with the chromosomes. You've made everything about them to give them the first start. So that's why it's so important for pregnant women or pre-pregnant women. And now what's the best way to take it? Is it best to take it with a fish oil uh, supplement? Is it best to eat, eat fish, but then you have to worry about the mercury? What's the best way to do it? Well, the best way is depending on how much you get the fish and whether you need extra. We'll assume you do. DHA alone is not going to give you the burpees. Most preparations have a lot of extra oil and a three to one ratio of the fish oil to the DHA. So you may get some indigestion. So you judge by what vitamin you're taking. But there's quill oil, there's super DHA, um, there's numerous other ones that are heavy in the DHA and that's the best way to do it. Because in the gut, it's gonna break down to some fish oil anyway, so you're gonna get the benefit of both. Supplement is the answer. Is there a specific brand that you like? I think there are multiple. I've used Carlson Super DHA because I've worked with them in terms of something for the macula, um, which has DHA in it. But doing the vitamins for retinal support will show you that most of your patients who have dry macular degeneration are not going to progress. So what other things can people do to prevent the progression of macular degeneration? We all know about the ARADS formula and the problems with the ARADS formula, but there's we're going to talk a little bit at the end about, about your formula, but we could do better. Well, your first question is, what else to do to prevent macular degeneration? Sunglasses. 
UV blocking sunglasses is great. You know, sometimes hats and visors, et cetera, in the garden, et cetera. You know, going to the beach, being very careful, et cetera. Lifestyle choices, cigarettes, treating elevated cholesterol, looking at your diet to do that are helpful. Stress in general is going to be making more epinephrine and more stress, et cetera. And all of those things contribute. For instance, glaucoma, the thief at night, also is a disease of stress. And that the relaxation, the breathing, the meditation, as you indicated, are all things that relax hypertension, glaucoma, et cetera, and high blood pressure. So there are many ingredients in vitamin, you know, like the taurine is important, um, glutathione boosters, the, some A, C, and E, but you get a lot of that in food. Um, D, you take separately so you know you get enough. It's not enough just to take it with your calcium because it's usually low dose. Uh, the omega-3 is important. Little bit of zinc is important. Magnesium, often you need more because that's a coenzyme for about 300 enzymes in the body. Um, and the B12 is, feeds the optic nerve. That uh, some of the disease of the optic nerve can be supported by sublingual under the tongue, B12, because you may have lost the internal factor. Let's talk about how we can lower our risk of getting glaucoma. What are some of the things that we could do and then let's talk about if you have glaucoma and you're, you have to take the drops, what else you could do to supplement with the drops? Glaucoma is a disease of the optic nerve. It's not just eye pressure. Three mechanisms are high eye pressure, low blood pressure at night, like taking too much blood pressure medicine when you don't have enough blood flow at night. And the third is artificial sweeteners and glutamate. They found twice as much glutamate in the vitreous fluid of glaucoma people is normal. So there are certain sensitizers that we don't know yet. So looking at your diet. So being more relaxed, the exercise concept, more of an appropriate body weight are going to help avoiding the glaucoma. Once you have glaucoma, and you need regular eye exams, otherwise you may not even detect it because you may not have the variety that gives you a high painful uh, events. You can follow with eye examinations, visual fields, and optic nerve photographs by the OCT. The latest visual field is a pair of goggles, and you take the test in the goggle, and you do it by yourself and doesn't need a fancy machine in a big room. And it's very quick and apparently is equivalent to the Humphrey usual dome-shaped visual field machine. Only one and a half percent of people with glaucoma should worsen each year. For the, for the so, patients that yeah. use the goggles, is that something that we could have them, uh, they could do it at home and then if it starts to change, they could, it could notify the doctor in between their visits? Perfect, perfect, you know, that, that's one of the ways to do it. But 50% of the people with high pressure, higher than normal pressure, never get damage. So there's a reason to be cautious about all this. And the sickest people, the ones who get it, basically on poor blood flow. So the moral of the, the concept 
is the exercise is good. Even the walking is getting the heart moving, getting the heart pumping, get all these channels working, etc. And the magnesium also opens up blood flow. There's been some studies on decreasing risk of glaucoma with tea, with uh, vitamin C, CoQ10. Can you comment on any of that? And even green vegetables increase the nitric oxide to dilate the blood vessels. And pycnogenol. Um, Bob Rich at New York Eye and Ear uses all of these things. We had a discussion about it, and he was the only one of the real glaucoma experts to start using this, and now he swears by it, etc. So there's no question. But relaxation is also very key. Um, there is something called Tian Shi. Tian Shi is a Chinese herb that stops bleeding and bruising in the body. And Chinese athletes use it who are um, athletic Olympists. But it also stops bruising in the retina. For the people that won't stop oozing, it will augment the need for using the needles to uh, supply um, support for the retina. So Tian Chi also causes people to relax. We've had a couple people get rid of their cystoid macular edema, their central serous retinopathy, just from the Chinese herb. And so it's really interesting to try some of these things and explore it on your own. And ginkgo biloba has been studied and it decreased visual fields. How's your experience with that? Ginkgo biloba increases blood flow in the retinal artery, an optic nerve, 24% in volunteers. So a colleague of mine who's an herbalist has ginkgo, pilocarpine, uh, curcumin, and a number of other things in an oral formula. And a few people have improved their visual fields, but most people have stayed nice and stable. So there's no question that a mix and match of the traditional and the alternative. Unfortunately, people want to go one way or the other. I, they say, I take too many things now, I don't want a vitamin, or I won't take a pharmaceutical agent, I'm afraid of them all. So somewhere in between moderation and an open mind and being your own detective will be helpful. I have to ask you about marijuana. If I don't, I'm going to get a lot of letters. So I have to ask you your opinion on marijuana and glaucoma. Well, I always knew you were a smoking kind of guy. <laughs> At any rate, there's no question that, that THC does have an effect on glaucoma through vasodilation. If you get more blood flow in, that helps. The reason the blood flow issue is, is the eye pressure in that ball of fluid is always there and can be high and you need something to push back. It appears that the oral doesn't do it as well. You need too much. And then there's CBD, um, which has been touted for so many things. And obviously, um, I look forward to the rigor of study, but certainly don't disclaim it because it may be very safe. Is there a ratio between, t, 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 uh, between uh, uh, the endocannabinoids and the T? t is there a ratio? I don't know. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now let's talk. Let's turn our attention to cataracts. Uh, you talked a lot about cataracts. What can we do to decrease our risk of cataracts? Sunglasses. And it starts early. 
because the, the juvenile lens is still susceptible to the sun at the beach. And as I said before, radiation is cumulative. And we're seeing cataracts in people 50, sometimes even in 40, because more leisure time, more sun time, you may put the sunblock on, but you don't put it in your eyes. So good sunglasses, which don't have to be expensive, go to the optical shop and make sure they're UVA and B proof. Um, and you can have a cheap pair for a dollar and a half that still does the job. So now, that's major. There was a study done with twins and they, the twin that had the most vitamin C had a 33% decreased risk of cataracts. What's your feeling about vitamin C, bilberry, L-carnosine for cataracts? Bilberry is good for peripheral retina. It's for your rods, for night vision, no question. They say that the RAF fighters went up with bilberry jam and could see better than the Germans at night, even though they were undermanned and underplaned. But carnosine does get through the eye. It is a sulfonated amino acid combination. And it's the sulfur in the lens of the eye that breaks down and degenerates. So there's no question carnosine. C is your number one antioxidant in the lens the number two is glutathione. And glutathione is the sulfur drug. That's why taking the sulfur being having a good glutathione level is important. And how, do we, can we take uh, liposomal glutathione or do we need to take the precursors? Good question, because it depends what gets through the eye. But I would say if you're taking the precursors orally is the way to take the precursors. Sammy, NAC, alpha-lipoic, MSM, et cetera. Explain what glutathione is and how it's so important to the body and, and catalase and SOD. Well, glutathione, first of all, those things are enzymes and glutathione reductase is an enzyme. They're all inside the cell. So they can't get out, need to be refurbished. But glutathione is three amino acids. And somehow they have a little magic in their configuration. And they do things like get rid of toxins from the liver. Um, they also work in neuromuscular junctions where the nerve and the muscle meet to get rid of peroxide, which is one of the breakdown free radicals from just breathing oxygen. And when that peroxide increases, you get diseases like Lou Gehrig disease and Parkinson's. So the treatment for those things may very well be IV glutathione. That tells you how important it is. So for instance, if you have Parkinson's, look up intravenous glutathione on YouTube and look at that story. And you may not be hearing this from anyone else, um, but it's quite important. That's an incredible video that David Perlmutter put that up. Yes. And it's incredible. Talk about L-carnosine, these L-carnosine drops. There's also pills to decrease risk of cataracts. Have you had any success with it? Do you think it's, it, it, it actually works? I know this Russian uh, doctor came up with this uh, CAN-C. Uh, what do you think of that? He did it in 2002. He swears by it. So we did a study in between 2015 and 2017. And we took 20 people with 40 lenses and gave half of them the equivalent of CAN-C and half of them 
the other. And the ones who got the can't see, a couple eyes got better. They tended to be more of the cortical cataract, got better, but none of them progressed in two years compared to the ones who didn't have it. So I think there is something to it. It's non-toxic. Things have to get through the cornea because they have a combination of lipid and water solubility. But apparently it does it. And Bright Eyes 3 and Can C have it. Um, and there's a vitamin for dogs called Ocluvet that they swear by can stop dog cataracts. The only problem with the dog cataract, you don't realize it till it's end stage. Right. The dog doesn't go in for the eye exam. Right, and, and I know they, they've done some studies with sea lions and uh, there was some improvement. How so, do you get them to stay still? I don't know. I don't know how the vets do it, but they, they figure out some way of doing it. How about water for cataracts? Keeping the, keeping the area flushed. Perfect. Because water is, since we said the lens doesn't have a blood supply, so it doesn't have a way to excrete or get in nutrients, that little bit of fluid that rotates and circulates in the eye is what is going to bring nutrients to the lens and is going to wash out the toxins. So water is very important. It's also important for your tears. And what happens is as old people get older, they don't want to go to the bathroom that much. So they cut down on the water or they're drinking coffee and they're excreting the water. And so many, myself is guilty at times, don't drink enough water during the day because it seems to be an encumbrance, but it is critical to feeling good. There's been some studies that quercetin could decrease the risk of cataracts, especially in diabetics. And any, any feeling on that? Well, I think quercetin links with vitamin C and creates a stronger collagen. So that's one thing in terms of diabetics. Quercetin and vitamin C are great for allergies, people with pollen symptoms because quercetin, the red of red apples and red onions, is the nature's antihistamine. So yes, there are thoughts about those things. By the time your listeners are done here, they'll be taking 22 pills a day. <laughs> and how about estrogen? You, losing estrogen as women get older? Interesting question. There's no question that why do women get certain diseases in higher frequency than men? like low thyroid and dry eye. So there's no question about that. So one thing you can do is try and replace it with DHEA, which is the parent compound for both testosterone and estrogen. And that may be something for healthy bodies as well. So there is, there is you know, bio-modulated um, hormones that people can take um, but, you know, you still run the risk medically of whether increasing your risk of breast cancer, et cetera. And how about artificial sweeteners and cataracts? How is that related? I don't know, but they're terrible. They're, they're excitotoxins. And what they do is they knock out your B12. They knock out at the end of your nerve fibers. You can't decompose them. I mean, everything is built up and breakdown of nutrients but you can't break these guys out of the system and they give you severe dry eyes. One of my patients who had bilateral cornea transplants, always doing well, visited his son in, uh, 
in North Carolina, and the son would not let him have any of his diet drinks for a month. And his eyes felt great. Came home, started having the diet drinks, and started feeling the annoyance, and then remembered what I said about diet drinks. So you, the patient, you, the individual, you, the warden of your own health, can help make some of these decisions. And lutein and zeaxanthin have been shown to decrease the risk of cataracts. 20% cataract and decrease the risk of macular degeneration. And Mediterranean diet? Mediterranean diet is great because it's less meat and more good things. And especially if the good things are local, seasonal, and organic wherever possible. Ann Coleman, who's an epidemiologist, ophthalmologist out in California, showed that lutein and zeas, foods that are high in lutein and zeaxanthin could also decrease the risk of glaucoma. But when we talked about glaucoma before, I just want to make sure that we're clear that if you're put on a glaucoma medicine, we're not, we're, we don't want you to go off your glaucoma medicine unless your doctor tells you. So if you're put on a glaucoma medicine, you got to stay on your glaucoma medicine unless told otherwise by a physician, an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. That's why, that's why you take the medicine, do the test, and if the tests revert to stable, then that's the time that people can try to experiment with their doctor. What kind of uh, remedies do you recommend for dry eyes? First of all, the omega-3s by mouth. Number two is blepharitis and dry eye are 50% of the time maybe mites. Demodex mites and the lashes. And I recommend the Avanova spray because it feels good. Kills 99.4% of stuff. In studies, it kills influenza and COVID-19 within 10 seconds in an auger plate. Mm. So before I go in to see patients, I spray my eyes and my nostrils with it, even though I have a mask on. And I think that that's the portal for entry of those viruses. And it's very supportive. But, but for dry eyes, you get something moistening. Some people like restasis, but I'm not sure it's much better than many other things. Um, learning to blink. Learning, especially if you're at a computer job, put a bottle of artificial tears by your computer to remind you to blink, if nothing else. And so you support the tears. You look at when the symptoms are worse, if you have arthritis and collagen vascular disease and really have dry eyes, then you have to put the plugs in. Um, use Lacra Cert, which will give you 16 hours of tearing. And there's numerous different remedies. And how about just drinking water and eating, eating a healthy diet? Correct. But you know, it's easier to listen to the devil than to listen to the angel telling you what to eat. And one of the secrets for diabetics is to have one bite of ice cream, one bite of cookie, one bite of pie. Because you know when you have that first bite, it is immaculate. But each successive bite, it wears off. Interesting. So you've developed a lot of supplements over your lifetime. And supplements that are very good for the eye. So if we could go through some of the different ingredients that you put in the supplement uh, and explain why you put it in and how it benefits the eye. So let's start off with uh, lutein and zeaxanthin. Let's start off with night vision. Okay, you got it. Because that is one of people's metric of how good their vision is. How quickly they recover from headlights. If they recover in three seconds, they're good. 
And the five vitamins that are good for that are vitamin A, zinc to release it from the liver, lutein, omega-3, and D. All help night vision. So you want to have as many of those as possible in there. And within a week, people will start recognizing that they recover from headlights and are not afraid from driving at night. Putting their blue blocker on will make it even better, diminishing the oncoming headlights. So you have ginkgo, you have glutathione and glutathione boosters. You have some E, C, A, a little green tea, as you recommended, a little magnesium. Um, you have zeaxanthin and lutein. Now these are basically tinctures because you can't have huge amounts, even if it's three vitamins a day, but it gives you enough to know that you're supplementing, even though you're having your spinach and you're having your eggs, etc. So um, bilberry, magnesium. You have it in front of you? Yeah, vitamin C, vitamin E. Yeah, I said A, C, and E, yeah. Uh, taurine. Taurine, good. Comes Talk about from, the benefits of taurine, why, why taurine's important. That's a good question. But apparently it is very important in terms of function of the macula in particular. Because taurine is not found in the blood. No, taurine is not found in the blood. That's interesting. It's found, it's found in meat. But you have to realize the macula is your highest metabolism in your whole body. If you were to do a thermal image of a sleeping polar bear, the two hot spots are the oxygen going in the tip of the nose and the macula. And they say that your blood goes through your eye every 20 minutes. So the macula is predisposed to toxicity and breaking down. So understanding that, you want to do everything possible to protect it. So in your senior years, you can enjoy the benefits of your labor. And the grapeseed extract, uh, uh, chromium. Perfect, chromium to help with insulin. Uh, um, lipoic acid. Yeah. Did you see those studies on lipoic acid and, and uh, presbyopia? No. So there's, you know, Novartis is testing uh, lipoic acid drops to decrease presbyopia. I think it's in phase three clinical trials. And I just wondered if you knew anything about it, if you had any uh, feeling about that. I think that's rather interesting because I tried a vitamin for a couple months to see if we could improve what's called presbyopia, ability to focus without glasses, and did not get much out of it. It was E, magnesium, CoQ10, D, and omega-3. But obviously, it's going to take more of a sustained um, period of time. But it's interesting about lipoic acid, again, is the glutathione booster. And what is the name of the supplement that you, uh, that you formulated? One is called iComplex CS, and the other is called Novacyte. The Avanova people asked me and said, why don't we make a vitamin to go with our spray? So it's called Nova, N-O-V-A-S-I-T-E, Novacyte. Is there much of a difference between the two? Nope. So it's basically similar. Same thing. Yeah. The last question I just want to ask you before we wrap up is about myopia and the myopia epidemic and what we could do with our children to decrease myopia. Screen time. Reduce screen time. All the studies talk about screen time 
because both what it does to the eye in the short distance and the convergence, that the convergence of the eyes, already that's the thickest muscle in the eye, somehow leads to increasing myopia. The other thing is in Nepal, they say every night, look at the moon. And what they mean by that is straighten your eyes out periodically. Take a break every 40 minutes and just look at distance. Shake them out, so to speak. Get rid of that spasm. Um, obviously, giving kid glasses will help, but that is punishing them when they could be just doing things naturally. Well, I just want to thank Dr. Robert Abel, Jr., ophthalmologist, eye surgeon, for sharing his wisdom with us. We covered a ton of topics, and he was very generous with his time. If people want to find out more about you, Dr. Abel, and they want to find out about your books, your fiction, your mystery books, and also your books about the eye, how can they do that? First of all, the eye care revolution basically gives them lots of stuff on how your nitrous oxide may help some things, but speeds up herpes. Um, so, I mean, everything is a mixture. My website is called iAdvisory, eyeadvisory.com. So there's lots of stuff in it. Um, I need to continue to add it because I would say every month there's new articles. And you're bringing up new stuff to me, Curry, with the Alpha Lipoic and uh, the fact that we want to hear as much as possible. And first of all, when you hear something, it might be an anecdote. If you repeat it, it may be a hypothesis. But once you find that it's a hypothesis, it may become a fact. And your colleagues are not going to do it because they're doing a three-minute eye exam. And your internist is too busy not getting reimbursed and trying to work the computer you know, behind you. Um, so you have to be in charge of yourself. But you listen to all the news. Well, that, that brings up one last thing. The, you talked about the eye being so complicated. And I often say how the eye is so complicated. And they're trying to do eye exams online with a cell phone. Can you just make a comment about that? Well, that goes back to the fact that people think your vision is what's on your nose. And that's all they're going to get is what's on your nose. Unless they know how to analyze your pupil and your iris and some fancy stuff like that, that is still difficult without having the complete eye exam. And you yourself know, one of the keys is the patient's history. And then the observation and then a second history. That's how you start to define what may be going on. And so I don't think you're going to be able to do much except get cheap glasses and then try to return them. Well, I want to thank the genius of Dr. Robert Abel. Thank you for joining me today. This is Dr. Kerry Gell for Open Your Eyes. The premium kit for dry eye treatment. The premium choice for your patients. Introducing the Eye Doctor Plus. The hot and cold eye compress treatment kit with antibacterial shield, washable cover and eyelid wipes. Visit 1-800-OPTI-SOURCE and type code open your eyes for a special promo. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. 
I like to bring extra, and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had safe for you to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.